Welcome into episode nine of the Line Twenty Four Seven podcast. Here, breaking down the latest in Penn State news, recruiting, and analysis. As always, this is Andrew Callahan alongside Sean Fitz. Of course, number nine should be special and well known to all Penn State fans out there. So we might as well call this the Jarvis Miller podcast as we head into the dog days of June and uh, shortly before I take a vacation, which which looks like that wouldn't uh, be such a terrible idea. By the way, you're still shaking your head and rubbing that brow. Uh, but before we get to Sean Fitz, uh, this is the rundown here for today's episode. Plenty of updates from the camp over the weekend, new names that are entering the picture for Penn State offers, uh, checking in some old names like Mike Parsons, Ashim Young, who were in town over the weekend, and a big class that had almost half of their members offered, which is up playing in the team camp uh, from the DMV area. Then we'll touch on the quarterback situation for where Penn State stands for their upcoming 2018 cycle. And then we'll get into some content we've had this week. You know, I listed seven players in the roster who have most overachieved their old recruiting ranking, who could join that list uh, at the conclusion of this upcoming season. It's Northwestern week on the website, so we're going to get into the Wildcats, what they've been up to, and of course, take your mailbag questions at the end. Now, are you still mad at me or are we back to good now? We're going to lose that fifth star on iTunes. <laughs> I don't know. You were just telling me that we had two more ratings on iTunes go back up, still going strong at uh, five stars 14 people have rated us please feel free to do so yourself add in a review i know we have a couple of those always appreciate the feedback good or bad uh to learn from or pat ourselves in the back and mostly I, good yeah. yeah but i don't think we've had either from um uh, our beloved uh, parents uh no mrs fitz making an appearance uh or mrs callahan um but uh, otherwise things are good so find us on itunes stitcher we're, we're continuing to expand i know we've had requests for other uh, avenues for a different podcast we've, we've got some work coming out on that where you can find us but for now we're always there and um still doing still doing pretty well yeah two minute intro is over uh get, gonna get right into camp season penn state two camps this weekend uh friday night they had another elite camp saturday morning uh afternoon evening pretty much all day they had the team camp, which is a seven on seven, as well as the big man challenge. Uh, a, you know, a little bit of news coming out of that. A couple new offers. Uh, one that really turned heads: Keaton Ellis, 2019 cornerback, defensive back, athlete kind of kid from State High, um, State College. So you don't see too many offers going out to State High kids, and and I think you don't see too many State High kids with offers going elsewhere. So the crystal ball lit up uh, with Keaton Ellis to Penn State. Uh, you know, it's it's still one of those things. I think he wants to take his taking his options. Uh, look at what he's got and and then make a decision but you, you go to state college high penn state's always going to be in the mix so moving on from that penn state uh, did a really sort of different approach to camps uh, with the rules this year you have 10 days in june and july to get your camps done doesn't matter how you stack them you can have multiple camps in one day what penn state has done this year they they've gone to uh you know say georgia and send some of their staff to texas on the same day as long as it's in the same day you can work as many camps as you want Mm -hmm. and that's what they did they had the elite camp set up um for friday night um and they made it um you know, uh, they had an, a request from St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C., which is one of the biggest talent producers in the region. They wanted to come up, but they couldn't uh, – they had to go to Syracuse, so they couldn't uh, participate in the camp or the team camp the next day. So Penn State basically set up another camp in the afternoon, and, uh, you know, it really paid off. They offered three kids out of that camp, uh, led by Keelan Robinson, a, a tremendously talented running back. He got hurt a little bit last year, but still had a very productive season for, for St. John's. Uh, he's a 2019 kid. 
kid, ran a couple of four threes, and you know he's probably uh, right up there in terms of talent with any other running back in the region. So it was a guy that you probably would expect to see offered in, in you know the long run. But uh, Penn State got on him this weekend. Should be in the mix. Offered a couple of his teammates, Quentin Johnson, a 2019 safety defensive back, and Mikhail Sherman, who a really impressive looking 2020 kid. He's a linebacker right now, going to grow into a defensive lineman. He's just a big kid. He moves fairly well, and you know they offered all three of those right away. So that was the class I was talking to from the DMV area, where it was just such a high concentration of offers in one spot. I mean, I hate to be that St. John's rivals coming up in a couple of years because it's just a loaded class. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a really good uh, school for talent, and it's actually kind of funny because St. John's has had a ton of talent in the last couple of years, but now St. Francis out of Baltimore, which where Biff Pogi is going, and Biff used to be the coach at Gilman. Uh, he went to Michigan. Of course, he had a son that played at Michigan and one that played at Iowa. But he, he, he's he got a lot of power in that area. He's coming back to St. Francis. Now, St. John's has lost a couple of kids to St. Francis. Uh, Shane Lee, a top inside linebacker that's visited Penn State a couple of times. Uh, he's going to end up at St. Francis. And, you know, just a couple of the kids. So it's it's an interesting power struggle going on three and a half hours away between a couple of, of schools that are going to have uh, quite the backing. Uh, St. John's is, is an Under Armour school. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Francis is going to have Nike behind it. Should be, should be you know, fun to watch from a distance. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with some of these kids. St. Francis uh, just had a tremendously talented offensive lineman, Jalen Duncan, commit to Maryland over the weekend. So just talent abound. And, and when you're thinking of the schools down there, you, you always think good counsel, DeMatha, uh, Gilman. Uh, I think uh, St. John's, Gonzaga, uh, and St. Francis have sort of evened that out. And there's a ton of talent in that area. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm sure there are going to be some some recruiting wars at the high school level that will turn into uh, the same at the college level so uh the next day the the penn state had their team camp uh always fun to watch seven on seven um highly competitive camp i think about 60 schools were on hand a guy that uh really made a splash early was 2020 wide receiver julian fleming from uh southern columbia high school in in catawissa Uh, of course a very small school but this is a kid is a top-notch athlete i I think when you look at the 2019 and 2020 classes in, in in pennsylvania and it's obviously still probably too early to make a statement like this. He's probably the best prospect in either one of those classes. So Penn State got on him right away. Um, they were they were able to see him in person as a wide receiver because when you're playing that small school ball, it's tough to tell. Mm-hmm. He went out and stacked up against everybody. And by the end of the day, he was playing corner against Micah Parsons. So, I mean, this is a kid that that, that has all the tools. Michigan offered him, I believe, in the fall or in the winter. So he's I think he's got eight or nine offers right now. For a 2020 kid playing where he does, that's, that's saying something. So right. Julian Fleming went out uh, a couple games that I watched him, made some phenomenal catches. I mean, you would not think that he was just finishing his freshman year in high school. So, um, you know, in, in the long run, I think it's going to be something uh, to watch for Penn State. You're going to have an elite uh, wide receiver prospect in your backyard. And you're going to, you got in, in on him early. So you have that opportunity. Uh, he told me he grew up uh, following Penn State, not, not a huge fan, but following Penn State. Oddly enough, he loved the uniforms, and, and that's not something, that's not really something you hear with these uh, with these younger kids. It's, it's usually not flashy enough, uh, you know. These and it maybe who knows? Maybe it was the retros last week. I was going to say, of course, of all weeks to trot that out, you know. And the, and the biggest criticism of which there was very little was, well, the, the retro uniforms look exactly as, as the current ones do. But yeah, I think that would be something that might as well just kind of be a bonus. But if he sees himself and has seen himself in a uniform uh, in the past, that makes it all that easier to, to physically put him in there. And speaking of retro, you're old. 
old, Bobby Ingram, uh, his son Dean was participating this weekend. There's been really? a lot. There's been a lot of the the, the '94 team, and a lot of the uh, the '90s guys have sons coming through and making people feel very very old these days. But Dean Ingram uh, had a had a Penn State offer coming into it. I was pretty impressed with him, to be honest with you. Uh, he was a kid who was really skinny when he came onto the radar. He's still really skinny, but he's put on about 15 pounds of muscle. Uh, wasn't afraid to mix it up, and it's seven on seven. They were playing with helmets, but they, uh, you know, he he mixed it up. He played receiver, he played safety, and I thought, you know, he looked every part of a kid that can play in the Big Ten. So I think that sort of uh, quells any fears about about Dean Ingram. I think he's going to be a you know a, a solid player. And when you're talking about not really must wins for Penn State in recruiting, but Bobby Ingram's kids coming through, you you got to get somebody like that. Of course. And moving on, uh, Nick Tarbert and Jesse Lukito were in town this weekend. Uh, a couple of linebacker commits worked out at the Friday night camp. Both team, both were in the team camp on Saturday as well. Um, you know, the big, big kids, 6'2", 240s, uh, 6'3", 240 for Tarburton. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's one of these things that you see these kids, and they're just huge. <laughs> you look at where Penn State is with linebacker right now, aside from Cam Brown, not a very tall group, but, uh, you know, these kids are, are filled out. You wonder if Tarburton is going to be a defensive lineman in the future. Lucada's got some work to do on his uh, his speed and his game, but uh, you just look, they're, they're on another level from the kids they're camping beside the high school kids. So um, that was fun to watch. And finally, Micah Parsons, Ishim Young, a couple of blue chip prospects that are just on another af- level athletically. So um, it's fun to watch them in person. Uh, Parsons' Harrisburg team dominated and and they ended up winning over a very well-run Coatesville team. So it was a fun camp. Um in terms of news coming out of it, not a ton, uh, and we're not supposed to talk to the players anyway, so uh, not not a ton of news. But uh, it was fun to see those guys get out there and compete. And you can really you can tell um, you know the, which games you should be watching because there's usually a couple of golf carts with Penn State coaches in them right beside. So mm-hmm. you know that was that was I thought that was. Uh, just a, a really interesting weekend, very busy weekend, and, and now the coaches are going to move into that dead period and go on vacation. As will I. Uh, but, but, of course, before we get to that point, we mentioned the quarterback situation. Uh, Jace Reuters committed to North Carolina. He was among uh, guys considered, you know, for right now, to be the top available options, whoever unlikely it was. Penn State offered him back about 10 days or so ago. Um, you know, now he's signed till and delivered to the Tar Heels. And, and it seems like when you look at the rest of the board, you know, it, it, they're still going to have to move on a guy who's currently committed in that 2018 class if they're going to look to land a prospect uh, of the caliber that they're seeking. You know, of course, Justin Fields still uncommitted, but, you know, we've been over a situation so many times. That's not something you rely on or really have a plan A or even B for. It's got to be a pleasant surprise almost at this point. Yeah, and if you go back to the Reuter situation, that was the risk you were taking. You, you pretty much had to get an offer out to him because you knew the possibility of him committing to North Carolina was pretty high. Um, so you got that offer and you took your chance. It didn't pay out. Or it didn't pay off. So uh, you'll see Penn State move on. Uh, Devin Leary is a kid that we've talked about committed to NC State right now. Uh, may see an offer go out to him. I, I think they're going to take a long look at some committed guys. And, and, and I think the key is you don't need one right now. Um, you'd like to have a quarterback in your class to sort of build around and do some recruiting and things like that. But you know, in the long run, this offense is going to put up points. It's going to be very appealing to someone. You're going to have changes over the next six months. So 
uh, is it the, the is it the ideal situation to be in? No, um, you'd love to have Justin Fields still committed, although that looks to be moving back down south. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see which direction they go to. Like I said, Leary is the is the the, the big name that we've been putting out since since mm-hmm. the the Fields decommitment. But I think they're gonna look into some other options. They're gonna look at some guys committed elsewhere and see if they can find a guy that fits in the system because I think that's more important than just you know finding the most uh, the biggest star guy or anything like that. Right. And I think you hit on both sides of that, where right now, without a quarterback, you know, in recent years, we heard this from from Josh Gaddiser, um, offensive recruiting coordinator for Penn State right after National Signing Day this year, and that Sean Clifford played such a strong role for them in terms of not only just recruiting within the class once kids were committed or, or targets or otherwise, but, you know, having a, a, a strong caliber quarterback in the center of your class, people gravitate towards that, and especially someone with some charisma, you know, in addition to that skill. So, you know, not having that right now obviously hurts a little bit, but you mentioned you know, if you're a prospective quarterback right now looking at this class, Penn State's top four targets, and again, the number four rated class in the country as it currently stands, are all offensive players, and they're spread out. You've got a running back in Ricky Slade, Justin Schroeder, of course, an outstanding wide receiver, Dana Asiedu, who could be your blindside protector from years to come, and Zach Kuhn's a tight end. So you've got great options behind you all around, and you'd think that would be appealing enough to someone, uh, but of course, you know, if you're going to look for a quarterback, you're not just looking to fill that spot. You're looking for someone who can produce for you, you know, at a high level and really lead the program for years to come. And of course, those guys are hard to find uh, for good reason, especially those who might be on the open market, of which there are very few right now for Penn State. Yeah, you'd like to get some guys in camp in July and take a look at them. Uh, Will Levis is a kid from Connecticut that's sort of blowing up right now. Uh, tremendously athletic, top uh, spark rank, spark ranking nationally among quarterbacks. Uh, but you know, I don't know how great of a thrower he is right now but he went down to florida state earned an offer came back the next day and randy edsel offered him at uconn so obviously he's always ahead of the ball right there you know right there but um no i mean i think it was uh i think he's a guy that you can watch in july he's trying to get down here sean spencer's been on him a little bit uh so i I, i'd I'd like to see him in action personally before i make too many judgments but i think levis levis is a guy that you look to as a as a definite possibility i mean well will florida state have room will some of the other schools i believe you got iowa north carolina which obviously has two quarterbacks now yeah. doesn't look like they're going to have room so um i'm not going to say he's, he's falling to them because he's a very you know talented kid very good athlete but if he's the guy that you're looking for as an athlete uh you know devin leary's got the better arm but same, at the same time levis has an opportunity to run that offense uh, i think that's that, that'll speak volumes in terms of the next month or so that we see out of camp season so levis is going to be an interesting guy to track speaking of quarterbacks that could uh you know outlive their or out <laughs> outplay their recruiting rankings trace mcsorley is running that offense right now you wrote a little bit earlier this week about uh, uh you know going above and beyond what they were ranked trace i uh, really didn't know what to think of him coming out of high school as a six foot quarterback slash receiver slash safety slash everything i mean but uh he was a winner and, and it turns out he's a winner at the college level as well right and that was the whole premise of the piece of just you know you look at this team and, and for penn state to make the leap that it did from seven wins you know of course to 11 three year ago make the rose bowl you know a, a part of that of course is, is talent you know good fortune and also guys over achieving to some degree and really contributing from areas he didn't expect. Now, it, it doesn't cover all the guys in this list, and it was a, a gallery of top seven players who have outperformed the recruiting rankings to date. If you look at a guy like Torrance Brown, who was considered a fifth starter in that defensive line, subbed in when you had injuries to Garrett Sickles, uh, and Evan Schwan was able to play effectively. Jason Kambinda has really outperformed his rankings. You're talking about nearing the 1300th uh, overall player for his class, you know, around an 82, 83 in that range. So Parker Coffin on this list, Grant Haley as well, who has undoubtedly outperformed his uh, recruit ranking. Trace McSorley's in there. Kevin. 
Kevin Givens, and then Robert Windsor was the last one who rounded out this list. And of course, you know, we're always looking to do a top 10, 7, you know, 5. The numbers always roughly stay the same. But rounding out this list, Windsor caught my eye because, of course, he's just a redshirt freshman. So even though he wasn't, you know, heralded, but you look at his snap counts last year, on the among defensive tackles, he played the second most just behind Parker Cothran, who he even subbed in for a start when Cothran missed the Purdue game. So to me, based on what you look at him last year and where he was in that class, not expecting, or two years ago, not expecting a whole lot, but he was able to overcome that and set the table now for a future that could be pretty bright there on the interior, um, and, and especially considering he's only going to be better. So you can look at that list. That's already been published. But now looking ahead, who are some other guys that might be able to overachieve to the degree where they might end on this list after this season? Well, I'm, uh, first off, I'm glad you put Windsor in there. I love the kid. I think he's a, a giant giant space eater inside. He's a tremendously strong kid, and I think he's just going to get better. Uh, I had somebody in the program tell me last year he's, he's going to be a draft pick. And, you know, for for a late grab for a kid from Wisconsin who was a low to mid three-star most spots, uh, that's about as well as you can do, especially given how Penn State has recruited defensive tackle and the misses that they've had there. Mm-hmm. To get a kid like Windsor who's going to be a multi-year starter, uh, can plug up that A-gap. Uh, it's just a, I, I think it's a big bonus and a really good job by the staff to, uh, to evaluate get out there but moving on to the guys that could could take that next step this year um Sharif Miller uh, a lot of people forget he wasn't really a highly recruited highly ranked kid of course he had some academic troubles that that sort of set that offer list back a little bit but uh you know this is a, a big long kid he was about 215 pounds and he's probably about 250 now so uh, I think he's got an opportunity and we said it or I've said it before I think he's going to lead Penn State in sacks and I think you really take that mid uh I think it was about mid to high three star 86.8 is, uh, you know, in our, on our scale is about a 70 to a 100, 86.8 a, a mid to high three star. Um, you know, I, I think he can really take the next step and, and be that guy off the edge and, and really be an important player for Penn State and, and you know, play at, a, I guess, a four star level or whatever we would consider that. And right next to him is a guy that I omitted on this list, but very well could have made it Curtis Cothran, you know, looking ahead to his redshirt senior season, jumped in as a starter after his four game suspension at the beginning of last year and, and is really produced and, and provided an effort in there where I think you're going to see the statistics kind of come around for him. I think if you look now, you'd be surprised at how little, you know, by typical measures he produced for Penn State. But there was a reason there. He was starting every game once he was available from week five on. Um, you know, he was about an 84-85 coming out. And the reason I omitted him was just in terms of the the total production to date, you know, for a guy who's entering his fifth uh, year with the program, you know, at the time you give him enough time to develop, perhaps he gets to this spot. But you could certainly have put him on there and it would be hard to argue against it um so he, he's a guy who could certainly make that leap you know get into the backfield a little bit more kevin gibbons of course did that when he was starting those first four games and then we'll probably see more of a rotational role so curtis cothran there and then two more guys in the secondary uh one who will start like Miller and Cothran, and another guy who has a position battle going on. Yeah, Christian Campbell is going to start at corner, and he was one of the lower guys in the 2014 class. I think he committed right uh, right before signing day without taking an official visit. Uh, you know, 83.5, and this is a kid with all the potential in the world. I, I did something uh, on the, the by the numbers, and I talked about Saeed Blacknell having more to gain than anybody on the offensive side of the ball. Well, well, Christian Campbell's probably that guy on the defensive side of the ball. Going to get one full year to start. Uh, obviously, with, you'd love to have 
John Reed, but I think this is beneficial to him as he makes it makes his case. NFL level measurables really hasn't completely put it together on tape. He's made some solid plays, but he hasn't been you know spectacular that yet. So I'm, I think that Campbell is a guy that can probably make a bigger jump than anybody on that defense this year. And then Nick Scott, the other one. You know, I, I wrote a column uh, over a month ago about why I think he'll eventually win the the starting job at safety. Currently fighting with Aaron Monroe and, and Troy Apke. A lot of tools there. Had some interest from from big time programs, Alabama included, in, in playing defensive back. One of the play running back came to Penn State has since shifted back, uh, but was only about an eighty six coming out. So to see a guy there with, of course, all the athletic talent uh, in the world, essentially now getting more comfortable at a position, he's got every reason to to jump up this season and then kind of make this list and, and perhaps again um, in, in 2018. And, and he was a running back coming out and I think we had him rated as an athlete which is absolutely what he should have been. Uh, and I, I think he probably could have been a defensive back from the start had it not been for Penn State's situation at the position of running back. Um, so Scott's a guy that uh, if he wins that job, he's athletic enough. He's made the special teams plays and, and sort of flash there when you would like to see that happen. So I think Scott's got an opportunity to, to, to be that next guy. Uh, m- moving to the future, there are guys that uh, you look at and you say, hey, this guy was a mid three star, low three star or whatever. He could probably uh, take the next step and, and be that guy. Probably not this year. Two offensive linemen really caught my eye. Uh, they love Will Fries. Absolutely love Will Fries as an offensive tackle. And when some of these older guys move out, I think he's going to move in and be a multi-year starter for them. Uh, a underrated athlete on the edge. Came to their camp a couple of years ago. Did really well athletically. And and he was a guy that uh, they were just high on, high on, high on all the, all, all the time. And the, the recruiting service has never really picked up. He's not a flashy guy. He's not a guy that went out and went to a bunch of camps or anything like that. But he did maul some people. And at 6'6", 300 plus, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that can move on the outside. And I think he can he can really be a guy that outplays his uh, outplays his recruiting ranking. And you're not going to believe this, but Mike Miranda is on my list as well. Sean Fitz. Yeah. I, it's Bring a first. Mike Miranda. Mike Miranda is a kid who's, who's not going to be highly rated. A short arms, short uh, guy, not the prettiest uh, body in the world. But I think he's got the um, the ability to be a multi-year starter at the college level, um, can be a center, can play guard as well. It's just a, a mauler. Anybody that watched this tape knows how much fun it was to watch that kid play. And, and when you're talking about recruiting rankings, are you talking about pro potential? Or are you talking about college potential? I think he's got the college potential to be a three-year starter. So, so um, I think those are two guys when you're looking to the future that really have an opportunity to uh, solidify the offensive line. A ton of talent, ton of young talent on this offensive line with those two, with, with Mike Mennett, with McGovern. Bates is still young, believe it or not. So I, I think that uh, the future on the offensive line, especially on the interior, is bright. And I think they've, they've really got an opportunity to take this to one of the top uh, groups in the Big Ten in probably two, two years. And two quick things, one on each of them. Uh, Mike Miranda right now is in the, the mix for the 2D. You know, I can sit down, uh, sit down with Matt Limegrove and discuss the offensive line. They feel really good about eight to nine guys currently. It is a spring. You know, there's still a lot of football ahead, even just on the practice field to sort things out. But you mentioned he He's impressed him quite a bit and will be in that mix there. And Wolf Rise, you know, I, I don't think we even have to go to the tape much just by listening to the comments last year. Penn State got hit by a barrage of injuries in the offensive line. And as a true freshman, they were ready to, to burn a planned redshirt, you know, and, and didn't get to that point. But just the fact that he had put himself in that position, you know, even as a guy who, as you mentioned, not the highest rated prospect coming out, you know, wasn't beloved by everybody, didn't get a whole lot of exposure. But to, to be able to step up there, considering the run that they were making, the stakes 
points only raised as last season went on, and he was really still in consideration until late in the regular season to have that redshirt burned. And, and <laughs> when we were at uh, the Rose Bowl, we had Rose Bowl media day. It's a, it's a one or two times a year where you get access to everybody. Essentially, all sit down in the same room for an hour, go asking questions, whatever. Freshmen normally off limits. Well, that day. I feel like more than half of us immediately descended on the offensive line table because, of course, there was the ongoing Brendan Mann. Um, you know, he was made available, had been healthy again, but a little bit of mystery element to his injury. And then Will Fries. Everyone wanted to talk to Will Fries because no one had been able to to that point. And here was a guy who could be playing left tackle for a team making a run at the you know college football playoff. Of course, he didn't. Uh, but nonetheless, it's like we, we got to get a hold of this guy. Um, you know, definitely you know, a little bit more uptight, not used to it. And I asked, I was like, do you enjoy this kind of stuff? And he was like, uh. Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's like it's okay. It's it's totally understandable. But you know the potential is very real there with both of them. Whether you want to go by listening to the staff, seeing them on film, uh, or, or just getting a vibe of, of both. Yeah, and and Fry's got dinged at the end of last year, and I think we we may have seen him down the stretch had that not happened. But I think it's a smart call. You look at what Ryan, oh, Ryan Bates did last year. That redshirt year helped him immensely. Uh, you'll, you'll see that with Michael Mennett, with Fries, Alex Gellerstead needed a year or two. Um, he's grown into his body as well. So that redshirt year, just so valuable. Um, and I think that when you're talking about a guy like Fries, he can be a three-year starter for you. And I think he can be one of the good ones. He can be a draftable guy at the end of his career. Looking at the 2018 class, we're going not only just near future, but farther down the road. You had two guys you like to potentially be overachievers. And we're yeah. going to do the same gallery in, in 2020. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, Charlie Casher, uh, linebacker from Cumberland Valley, just a tremendous football player. And on top of that, you look at these tremendous football players, you go back to guys like Kalik Hudson, who just killed it at McKeesport, but he was also, what, 5'11", 5'10". Um, you know, they lack measurables. Charlie Catcher is a legit 6'3". He's, he's 200 pounds, almost 200 pounds. He had shoulder surgery, so he's not doing as much lifting right now. But he's a guy that goes out, plays receiver, plays safety. He's going to end up playing linebacker. And he's just uh, one of those uh, one of those throwback guys that can start for you for a couple of years. And, and you really can get him into your system, can put some weight on him, and he can be one of your most dependable players. I mean, he looks like a Penn State linebacker. So I'm excited to see Charlie Catcher play. Excited to see him get excited. Uh, get healthy and play as a senior because uh, I right. think you know he's he's one of if not the best football player in Pennsylvania um, going from a high school standpoint. So wow. it'll be it'll be fun to see him uh, match up with Parsons again. They did it a couple times this year, and, and it's just uh, it, it, he's a kid that y- you really root for. He's a great kid as well. So uh, beyond that, Bryce Effner um, probably overlooked in this offensive line class, but I think uh, you know I, I kind of like him more than Antoine Reed, who who committed before him, who's got a little bit of higher rating, but. Uh, yeah, I look at Bryce Effner as a kid that can play guard. He can play uh, tackle. He can possibly play center. I don't know if he snapped much or, or not in his career, but he's a guy that can can also come in and, and and solidify your team all over the place. You can move him around if you need to. Uh, I was talking to a source from another Big Ten school who said that they thought he could be a three-year starter in this league. So that guy um, knows more about offensive line than I could ever hope to know in my life. So uh, I'll, I'll go with his evaluation. As, and I'll just say there's potential there. Penn State took him for a reason. Uh, it was questions of whether or not they, they could do that or not in terms of numbers. But they took him for a reason. They, they like him, and we'll see how he pans out. But he's got an opportunity to improve. I think he's the lowest rated guy in the class so that's why he sort of moves into the slot when, when when you've got a class like Penn State where it's you know a lot of four stars a lot of highly rated guys it's a little bit harder to make this list but those are two guys that really stick out to me 
Efner, a guy who, when he committed, I think the biggest question mark, not so much to do with his game, but why didn't he have a Northwestern offer? Because he's a guy right in the recruiting backyard and area. As I mentioned, right now, uh, Northwestern preview week on the website, going through all parts of the Lions road trip to see the Wildcats in week six. And from a poll we did earlier this year, because, of course, I was going to be that first road game in late September, I asked you know folks who read us, do you think Iowa will be their most difficult road game outside of Ohio State? And it was a resounding no. And and I totally understood it, you know, after going through Iowa and, and was on the same point, because I think Northwestern, indisputably, as we stand right now, again, somewhere to go, and we'll see how those first five weeks pan out, but is a team, A, with the most starters back in the Big Ten. It's a team that historically, you know, especially in the Franklin era, has given Penn State a little bit of trouble as of late. They're strong in areas where they can limit Penn State offensively, and people always like to bring up, it's going to be 11 a.m. local time, so there's a little bit of a difference to overcome there. Uh, I think you called the, mid- the Midwest, Midwest start. start. The Midwest start last week. So I I totally agree. I'm believing in this team. They're going to have a bye week in September, so they'll only have played uh, four games. But the week prior will be Wisconsin. So they're going to be ready for top-tier competition. Very different team, of course, in Penn State. But but this will be, you know, I think a close game, barring some really unforeseen extreme events in in the first five weeks of the season. You pointed out they can give Penn State fits in some areas. Uh, You wrote this week the defensive line and the defensive backfield are two of their strong points. And I think that, you know, when you talk— Talk about uh, shuffling the offensive line, which Penn State has done, and I think they're going to solidify it by then. But still, uh, the pass rush has been an issue. Um, Trace McSorley has been able to make some plays with his feet, but you know you don't get too many combinations in the Big Ten that are very good defensive line, very good secondary. I think you usually get one or the other. Of course, Ohio State is kind of on a different level, and then when Penn State went out to Michigan last year, they oh, saw yeah. that. But yeah, if you get if you get that combination, you can get the quarterback moving around a little bit, and Trace has had a lot of success with his deep ball throwing just throwing it up to guys but you they could turn into some turnovers and on the road in the big 10 uh against a team like uh northwestern that takes care of the ball that doesn't make a ton of mistakes a well-coached team any other cliches you want to throw out about northwestern very smart kids or whatnot i think that uh it, it definitely is cause for concern when you're going out there and penn state and offensively when you look at northwestern you know you got a guy in clayton thorson who believe it or not could throw his hat in the ring in terms of one of the better quarterbacks in the big 10 you know we started the last couple of seasons people aren't as enthralled with JT Barrett as perhaps they once were. Won't spate, you know, you could see real extreme um, ratings or reviews of him. He might not even start with the emergence of Brandon Peters out of Michigan. Thorson, a, a big Bill O'Brien target. I don't know how many people remember that, but when he was you know, when he was going in on quarterbacks in the class of 2014 and eventually they got Michael O'Connor, Thorson was the first guy he offered. And I think Bill O'Brien knows a little bit about something about quarterbacks. Yes. <laughs> so so uh, I'll trust his judgment on that. Uh, Thorson is, is fun to watch. Uh, he's a guy that can make some plays and Anytime you have a veteran quarterback, you got a chance in this league. Right. So Thorson, the big sore spot for him this season, you know, he'll be a better player, but he's going to be missing his best target in Austin Carr, reigning Big Ten receiver of the year, who is now auditioning with the New England Patriots. Um, so they're looking for more options of wide out. The backfield's all set. Justin Jackson it, it could be the Big Ten second best running back right behind Saquon Barkley. Uh, Mike Weber, of course, in that conversation, among a couple others. But Jackson led the Big Ten in rushing a year ago, for people that forget that Barkley came up just shy there in terms of total yardage four starters back on the offensive line they got a georgia tech transfer coming in over the summer who could vie for that right tackle spot which is the only one that remains unsettled and and offensively again the skill positions they they weren't explosive a year ago i think this is definitely going to be a move the chain slowly type of offense even with Carr in there and replacements they're really excited about flynn nagel a guy who played well in the slot can also bounce outside uh or 
Oregon transfer Jalen Brown has come in. Of course, Oregon introduces some speed. You know, there's still a lot remains to be seen. But when you've got the most important position solidified with Thorson, and then his best friend in the backfield is Justin Jackson, you're going to be in a good place. And if they want to play that kind of ball control, you know, and play to their strengths up front defensively and in the secondary, this is a game that I think should be back and forth. And I, frankly, I'd be shocked if, if Penn State again, if all go to, goes according to expectation, is is significantly more than about a 10, 11, 12 point favorite, if not less. Yeah. And going on the road with the Midwest start or whatnot, (laughs) it's going to be something that I think you'll take a couple points off when you talk about the spread. still think Penn State is probably going to be favored based on uh, the the amount of points they can put up and everything. But yeah, it's going to be a very, very tough game, uh, tough place to play uh, in terms of energy. I mean, there's never a ton of energy at Ryan Field, although it's one of my favorite venues in the Big Ten, uh, just in, in, in terms of setting and you see the lake in the background and everything like that. But yeah, tough place to play if you're Penn State. They've had some struggles there and you know it'll be a tough game so moving on from northwestern you know we talked about indiana last week i think this is a two-week stretch that that is underrated frankly right now when you look at penn state's schedule the next two weeks will be michigan and ohio state uh next week in the podcast we're going to get into michigan i'll be on vacation when it should be ohio state preview week um but i I think it's a stretch where it should be a really good primer for penn state before they head into their buy and then get into what's presumed is the toughest stretch so northwestern will be the the trap game that everybody talks about yeah it'll be a trap game but i think when you look at if, if you're penn state you know trap game is someone you overlook penn state hasn't beaten them since franklin's been here and they're a team that you know should have just a one-loss record and they'll be at home and it's their homecoming game i think i think it's more the cliche of the trap game than anything <laughs> it's gonna be a tough game yeah. no what i'm saying it. is i'll happily call out that bs cliche as it stands now <laughs> very good uh, but but it should be a tough two-week stretch more so than i think people give it credit for uh, but that's why you uh come to the site check it out during the dog days of june so moving on to our uh, favorite mailbag segment where we take your questions and answer them to the best of our ability sometimes with varying levels of success uh uh, but a couple of good ones this week. I, I like this first one a lot. We were asked what current Penn State player on offense would be best suited to play defense and vice versa. So a defensive player then switching to offense. What you got? Finding the offensive guy playing defense was a little bit tougher for me. Uh, DeAndre Tompkins is a guy that I think you can flip over and play corner. Um, he, you know, he's not the the most fluid guy when you're talking about a potential backpedal or anything like that. But I think uh, he's probably a guy that can turn around and play defense for you. Um, you know, just looking across the board, we talked about uh, Trace McSorley as a potential guy that could play safety because we right, talked right. about that a little bit earlier. Actually, we talked about that as a, as an athlete coming out of high school, and you, I think he's one of those guys you can just pretty much put anywhere and he'll probably be productive uh you know he's safe for nose tackle he's, yeah <laughs> probably not but he's, he's faster than people give him credit for and he's a guy that uh you know played safety at the high school level and did it at a high level so um it'll it, it, those are two guys that really stand out to me uh i'll, I'll give it back to you for the offense because i know you've done a little bit more thinking on this than i have well yeah i had time to scroll through the roster uh and, and i was looking at steven gonzalez i think is a guy who who played defensive tackle in high school and you're looking at 343 kind of speaks for himself <laughs> So you just, light you just yeah. So you just stick him in at, at the one technique and just say, listen, you just eat up the guys who you were just playing alongside and use all you, their tricks, you know, against them. Now it's a lot more than that, obviously. First thought ran to Chaz Wright, who's even taller and bigger. Um, but I think that height would, would serve to his disadvantage when it comes to leverage. So I think Steven Gonzalez currently slotted to play left guard. He, you put him in nose tackle and a pinch, if Penn State really needs to help, he might be able to do a decent job. He's a load and he's a fighter. I mean, he's he's a guy that will punch you in the face. I mean, <laughs> even if you have a helmet on, which, you know, that might might not be a great thing. But, yeah, I think he's, he's pressing 
350. He's a big, strong kid. Um, still has some shaping to do, but I think uh, they're going to need him at guard, so I think they'll leave him over there. need a now. pretty shape and one technique, too, which is kind of the easier pick if I just stuck it to the offensive line. You went uh, a little further out with the wideouts. And, you know, I think the other thing on Tompkins, too, he's got that long speed, but also some quickness there, too, that, that you need to be a successful cornerback. Now, I ventured beyond the trenches for my defensive player who could be best suited to play offense. I went with Cam Brown as a wide receiver. Again, a guy who did this in high school, and we were chatting with Cole Farmer, you know, however many, a uh, couple of months ago near the end of spring ball. He said the first time he came across Cam Brown, he, he thought he was wide out. And honestly, up until recent months, you know, that's not a hard mistake to make because you're talking about a kid who's 6'5", and I think he's currently listed right now as 215, 220. He should be a little bit higher than that, but has really struggled to add on weight, and, and he'll be better suited at linebacker this year but if you need him out at the x you know for a goal line snap you want to throw up a fade i think he's your guy well he looks he looks like a skinny version of juan johnson and and Irvin charles both of which look like defensive ends so when you've got a linebacker that looks like a receiver i think you'd like to have it go the other way but uh yeah that that would be fun to watch if nothing else the guy that i look to koa farmer was a tremendously productive running back in high school um out in california and he's a guy that i actually was watching to possibly you know, uh, switch over to offense at some point in his career when it just hadn't clicked mm-hmm. uh, at safety. So Farmer, I think, was, had an offensive mindset. I think Franklin's talked about that many times. So uh, had an offensive mindset. You put him at running back. You can put him at H back. When you've got that kind of speed, you can put him at a lot of places. So I'm looking at Koa Farmer and thinking, hey, that's a guy that can you put the ball in his hands. And of course, he's been a kick returner for Penn State in the past. You put the ball in his hands and he can maybe do something for you. Moving to the second question, Koa Farmer used to return kicks for Penn State. Um, right now, the kick return Return job, punt return job are up for grabs. We talked about this a little bit during uh, spring ball and wrote about it on the site. But right now, you just your quick gut feeling of these two are going to start week one for Penn State at both those spots. I think you got to put Miles Sanders back there, kick, returning kicks. Uh, I agree. Did it last year, and uh, you want to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. He's bigger this year. Uh, you maybe let the, uh, the the kick team set up a little bit, or the wedge set up a little bit more, and, and, and do a little bit more damage that way. Brandon Polk's coming back. Uh, he was successful at it a couple times as a freshman and a little bit uh, um, uh, a little bit later in the season as a freshman so I think those are two guys that you look to as as pure kick returners I wouldn't be surprised if they put Irvin Charles back there again uh, really? try and get him the ball a little bit yeah that I, did not go too well it, for him. it wasn't great not great um, but that's uh, that's something where they'd like to get him some touches get him to mature a little bit um, you know and figure out what's going on and slow the game down for him a little bit uh, he got compared to Cordero Patterson um, last year and that's something that uh, he's he's a guy that had a ton, wow. a ton of success returning kicks. Just a big, long strider. He's you know you saw in the the Minnesota game. He's got some some speed to him. So I think he's got a lot of the tools. He hasn't put it together yet. We'll see if he eventually does. But yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to be in the mix at some point. I think he returned one kick last year, maybe two. Um, but yeah, I think he he can possibly be in that mix as well. Part return. Uh, a couple guys. Josh McPherson um, is a, is a still, guy that's still they, on my picks. I think I should have just gone first. And yeah, you really should. I would have really got Miles Sanders kick return. Josh McPherson is the uh, Yeah, return. Josh McPherson, uh, Mark Allen, and, and a guy I think they eventually want to be there is KJ Hamler. Right. Uh, just electric when he's healthy and when he can do it. So um, Hamler is a guy that uh, maybe not this year coming off the knee injury. That might be too much too fast. But Hamler is a guy in the next couple of years that I think is going to uh, really settle in and be the punt returner. 
And you've got guys like Lamont Wade. You've got uh, – I, I just think that's the big thing. You've got all these athletes now. We have real depth. Yeah. yeah they, I, I don't know if they have a, a, a two deep or whatever for, for punt <laughs> returner. But you've got so many athletes that you can put back there. And it's not all premium starting players. Of course, you can throw Barkley back there to return kicks or whatnot. But well, they did, yeah. The more guys that you can have back there returning uh, shows better it, – it, it's better showing from top to bottom on your roster. So uh, I think those are a couple of guys that you can you can make uh, – uh, make a case for all right um and i think too you want to just look ahead because the biggest you know inhibitors right now in terms of okay we're going to go with kj hamler and lamont wade injuries stuff aside is that you know they're just freshmen so like there's a different dynamic there but in terms of just their pure ability guys that i think you talk about 2018 they're going to have these jobs locked up provided that you don't want to lose uh lamont possibly in terms of you know but then again you know i was just going to say as if he's your starting corner but john reed was back there yeah quite often yeah and you don't want to play scared either i mean you, you got those guys back there for a reason um and a couple of guys that we didn't talk about mac hippenhammer donovan johnson bringing some speed and some wiggle um in the class of 2017 they'll be on campus next weekend so uh it'd be really interesting to see how this plays out like i said a ton of guys that you can put back there and that's that's probably a good problem to have uh real quick another pick people want to know who is going to be the leading receiver for penn state uh, both by yards and catches do you have a different candidate for both of those or is it the same guy well, I'm still in all your picks, so I'm going to defer to you on this one. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yardage, I'm going to go with Juwan Johnson, uh, and I, I think catches that you'll find Deshaun Hamilton goes back to the top spot this year just in terms of you know his durability that he's proven. I think he's primed for a bounce-back season. Jandre Tompkins can figure into both those uh, discussions, but I think just Johnson's ability downfield and the opportunities he'll have. We saw what Chris Godwin did with that ex-receiver spot. Um, you know, I, I think he'll see that, but in terms of just high-volume catches, Hamilton should, should run away with it. Yeah, I think Hamilton's got catches, um, no doubt about it in my mind. I think he's going to have a bounce back year, a really good year playing inside and outside. Uh, the guy you didn't mention, I think they, they have four guys to start in three spots. And where is Saeed Black now in all this is the big question. Didn't practice much in the spring doing it due to an injury. Uh, was tremendously un- inconsistent. I looked through his numbers today. I think he had uh, seven catches over a six-game stretch before the Big Ten title game. And then the Big Ten title game, he just exploded. So, And it dates back to 2015, too. Very few multi-catch yeah, games. Yeah, I think he's got like 34 catches in three years. So uh, the, the production has not been there. Uh, like Christian Campbell, who we talked about earlier in the podcast, he's got these measurement uh, measurables. He's got the ability to do so because we've seen it in times. He just hasn't been consistent. So I think that Blacknell can be the guy that uh, that gets the yards, but he's also a guy that could disappear. So I, yeah. I'm not sure which way to go on this, but I do think Hamilton will be the guy that you go to in a tight spot. And, of course, when you've got Mike Jasicki, you've got an option to throw it to him every play. So um, they've got options. That's a good thing. Four starters for three spots, which is uh, you know sort of what we're looking at with corner. So mm-hmm. if one of those guys goes down, uh, you can pop him in there and be fairly uh, flexible. So be, be, be fun to watch, at least. Last question, uh, another good one this week, and this is something I, I can't really speak much to having just joined the beat in September, um, but now that we're three and a half years into the James Franklin era, Reader wants to know how has he been received uh, a large scale among Pennsylvania high school football coaches? Well, it, it was a tough sell. I'm not going to lie. I, I, there was a lot of skepticism coming in, high energy guy, and you don't always buy in right away if you're a, a coach. You know, If you're a, a prospect or a parent or something like that, it's a little bit easier to do. But when you're a coach sending your players somewhere, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, he's done a good job of getting those guys to the PSFCA conventions and things on campus to talk to them. And, I, and I'll tell you what, his staff has done a great job selling themselves to the Pens- Pennsylvania high school coaches. I, I, I don't think there's too many of them that 
you know, really hold that grudge that some of them may have had through through the late Paterno years into the sanctions and, and things like that. So right. they've done a nice job repairing relationships. I'm not sure they're where they want to be in the long term, but that's something they're going to work on. But I, I interacted with a bunch of uh, high school coaches over the weekend, some of them Pennsylvania, some of them regionally with, with them being at the team camp and, you know, all had pretty good things to say. Now, of course, they're bringing their kids to, to camp at Penn State and some of them have kids that are coming to play at Penn State. So they might be a little biased, but I think Franklin winning last year went a long way in sort of, uh, you know, putting a little bit of clout behind what he's been talking about for the last couple of years. So I think those relationships are improving. I still think that there's there's some things to get over. You see Quantel Reigns out in Aliquippa. Penn State hasn't landed a kid from Aliquippa since mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, they've got Terry Smith on their staff for situations like that. But you'd like to see, um, you know, maybe one of those levees break or whatnot. So um, we will see how those things go. But for the most part, I think he's he, he's really endeared himself and he's won over a lot of coaches with the way that he's uh, sort of followed up on the plan that he preached. So overall, uh, pretty much speaks to the state of the program and how the era's you know evolved so far. Yeah, you know, hard sell early on seven and six seasons. You know, regardless, not talking coaches here, but just fans in general. And then last season, you know, winning cures everything. Winning helps so much. When, <laughs> when you win seven games two two years in a row, you're wondering if this guy's going to be there in a couple of years. So um, I, I think coming back last year and and not only winning. Um, going to the Rose Bowl and everything like that, but these coaches understand what kind of roster they they have. That, that, that this was I don't think this was a one year fluke type thing. Um, when, when you see what kind of product they're building and and the way that they've done it, uh, of course, dominate the state has has made it uh, somewhere else uh, in the past couple of uh, years, and that's sort of gone away. But they've done it with a lot of Pennsylvania guys. They haven't burned a lot of Pennsylvania guys, which I think mm-hmm. is a big deal. Um, so, and, and they've had some success with the Pennsylvania guys that they've had. So I think that's going to go a long way in terms of, uh, you know, mending those relationships. And, and it's not a quick fix. It's not something that can be done in three years in, in some of those spaces, yeah. but you, you, you're all over the map. Uh, I think you're good in Erie. You got some work to do in Pittsburgh, Philly. I think they've, they've made some big strides in Philly and, and Harrisburg as well. So you, you hit those main spots. And, and, and you're going to get something done, and they're going to continue to fill out. Of course, the 2019 class in Pennsylvania is okay. It's not the strongest it's ever been, so we'll see how that ha- that, that is handled. But at the same time, uh, you know, Pennsylvania high school coaches are pretty realistic, and they've done a, a pretty good job of buying into what what Franklin's been selling. So they've come a long way, and so have we. Now closing on 45 minutes for the ninth this episode. This was supposed to be a 20 minute. I, to, I told you we're <laughs> going to hit 45. Last week it was going to be we're going to hit 35. Uh, somehow we always go longer than expected, but you know what? As long as the content is good and that's the feedback we've gotten so far, then that's okay. So next week uh, we will reconvene for episode number 10 of Alliance 24-7 podcast. Our baby's growing up oh so fast, and then uh, I'm going to hit vacation. So I won't see you till. Um, what is that, Live for Life weekend? But we are still got a week to uh, hang out, come back, chat some Michigan, more recruiting updates, and the incoming freshman class who could contribute surprise or guys that you want to look ahead to 2018. But otherwise, once again, this has been fun. See you next week. <laughs>